Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I have been looking for some time since I started the podcast in May to find a powerful speaker and author on diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And I was asked to have this gentleman on my show. He was referred to me. Let me tell you about Dr. Stephen Iacovelli. He has quite the bio, so I'm gonna do my best to highlight a few of his many accomplishments. He holds an undergrad in public relations from Millersville University of Pennsylvania. He did his master's in educational policy and leadership development from the Ohio State University. And he did his doctorate in education in instructional technology and distance education from Nova Southeastern University. Steve is a published author. He's written several books and articles on a variety of topics, which we're going to talk about today. So Dr. Steve, welcome to Imperfect. Thank you, Deb. I'm so excited to be here. And hello, everyone. Well, you know, you put that wish out into the universe and then boom, it lands in your inbox. <laughs> so how good is that? I love, I love the universe. It's awesome. So thanks for your time. I'm going to jump right in. I've got four leadership questions. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Bring it. Okay. First question. Share with us where your passion derives, derives from regarding workplace equality. It's, that's a great question. Uh, so you, know, you, you went through my, my academic nerdy awesomeness, uh, which I'm still paying off, by the way. But um, I really, in, in a lot of the experiences that I've had being a professional in the leadership space, leadership, organizational development, um, it really actually started when I worked at Disney. And uh, there I was working for the cruise line for about five years or so as an internal consultant. And um, but one of the things that we would teach in our leadership was, of course, the, the intersection of leadership and being inclusive and diversity and inclusion. And so, of course, at the cruise line, there was 52 nationalities uh, on board. So you had to really understand kind of some of the nuances that cultural impact has on people's behavior and performance. And so that's kind of where the, the spark started, if you will. And then it really kept progressing on regardless of whatever uh, role I took within. Uh, I was an IBMer for a couple of years as a, a consultant and then eventually starting my my own business, that thread has always carried through as a way to really foster the concept of leadership, but as it goes through the lens of being, as I use the phrase, a consciously inclusive leader. Well, I love that. And I, I can only imagine the amount of transferable skills that that job has now brought into the <laughs> forefront for what you're doing now. So what a cool transition. My next question is, what imperfections do you feel that you bring to your heart-centered leadership? I think, and I thought about this because I know you, you told me about this question, obviously the name of the podcast. And I, and I think it really boils down to a, a mix of, of 
humility or being humble as well as kind of having a, a, a bit of that imposter syndrome, if you will. And, and I, you know, I, I, people say, Ooh, you have a doctorate. I'm like, yeah, but I, I was a faculty member for a while. And I remember sitting in, in sessions where some wonderful PhD folks really had no real world understanding. And I can kind of flip around and look at probably the smartest person I know. It's my father and he has a high school diploma. So, you know, that little bit of um, understanding kind of context kind of also leads to some of that imposter syndrome that I, I typically bring to the table. I, I manage it a bit, um, but I, I'm, I'm smart enough and, and aware enough to know that it, it's always creeping back there. And I really try to manage that accordingly. Well, I'm really, really thankful that you talked about imposter syndrome because a lot of people don't like to acknowledge or they don't even know what to call it and to even say you know your own father with a high school diploma and i can only imagine the brilliance of leadership and skills that he taught you and i always love to foster that Heart-centered leadership isn't about the initials after your name or your stature. So I really loved how you framed that. And I want to stress again the importance that it's really having that brain-heart alignment, but mm -hmm. also really giving the allowance to have that gut or that intuition management to also lead us, especially now being where we are with this pandemic globally. So thank you for sharing yeah. and, and being so honest. Of course. Now, I know you've recently written an award-winning and critically acclaimed book, and it's entitled Pride Leadership Strategies for LGBTQ+, Professional to be the King or Queen of Their Jungle. I want to congratulate you on the success of this book. And my leadership question around this is, you've really carved your own path for being an inclusive leader. What are the strategies that you could help our listeners learn about to really engage and be approachable to really ensure an unconscious bias is present in the workplace? Yeah, one of the things that uh, as I was going down the path of writing this, this leadership book, and I was going down to write just a generic one, you know, I've been in the field for 25 plus years. And, and over that time, you see patterns of behavior, like what's working for those who are rocking and rolling in their leadership, and what's not working for those who are kind of crashing and burning. And that's kind of that qualitative data that's been in my little noggin for a while, and then decided, you know, I need to do something about this. And actually, it happened because I met this woman at a conference, and I'm sorting business cards. And she asked, what do you do? And you know, I gave her a consultant, blah, blah, blah. I said, how about you? And she's like, oh, I'm a publisher. I'm like, you know what, there's a book in my head. She's like, well, let's get that book out. And so that was kind of the genesis for Pride Leadership. But as I started kind of putting the pieces together, um, you know, I do a lot of uh, advocacy work on behalf of the LGBTQ community um, and really any of the quote unquote others out there to kind of be more inclusive and, and uh, have a sense of belonging in the workplace. And so as I'm doing some of this volunteer work, I started kind of looking around in the early stages of putting Pride Leadership together. And I, I started observing my fellow, um, and I'll use the general term, queer leaders. And I'm, I'm starting to see patterns in some of the stuff. And I'm kind of putting that next to the research I initially done. And it really boiled down to six competencies that really 
really anyone can uh, work on to be a more consciously inclusive leader. And, and so it's things like authenticity, having courage, looking at uh, my level of empathy in the workplace, uh, effective communication, building relationships, and actually shaping organizational culture. And so, you know, I, I think one of the things that, that is unique, not just for the LGBTQ plus community, but really for all allies and everybody, is to, to leverage where you're at in these six competency areas and, and then start to use that as a, as a beginning point to, to really foster your own inclusivity. So for example, authenticity. Um, as a queer person, that can look very different than a non-queer person in the workplace. But both strategies can help me not just be more authentic at work and be more successful at work, because there's, you know, ask Brene Brown and all the cool folks out there talking about authenticity. But, you know, what can I do to even amp that up further once I have that beginning self-awareness? And so Pride Leadership goes into very specific strategies, ideas, competencies that anybody can really can start to take to beef up their their competency in those six areas. Well, I love that. And you've just segued beautifully into my next question. I love when that happens. <laughs> you've become such a leader and an inclusive leader. So what leadership advice would you give today to a young person who's really striving to be an inclusive leader and they just, they don't know where to start or what to do? Well, aside from being self-serving and saying, start with my book, <laughs> no, I would uh, honestly say that really the biggest thing that I talk about, not just in pride leadership, but I've been talking about for 25 years when I work with any leader is the, and you know, some people call it mindfulness. I call it, you know, helicopter perspective, whatever you'd like to label it is that opportunity to get out of your own head and look at the situation or context in a non-judgmental way. And so I, I do talk about mindfulness in my book. Um, I do talk about the you know, helicopter perspective in my workshops because, because, you know, people say, or I actually say drone perspective and not helicopter, but you get the idea. But any young person, if you can start to work at that right now, that's going to really serve you insanely great as you start to grow your own leadership skills and, 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 and broaden that ability and that reach that you have. Being able to take a, like a timeout in the moment, say, wait, what's going on here? What am I doing? What's happening with the, say, communication with those around me? And really starting to address it in that moment is just leadership gold if you can start to do it. Well, and that's certainly sound advice. And, and I do think your book is going to be helpful and we'll make sure that we put the uh, link in the podcast episode description. I'm going to switch gears now. And I like to finish my podcast with what I call the fab four. <laughs> four fun questions. We want to know what's sitting on the top of Dr. Steve's mind. So here we go. <laughs> okay. Question one, share with us your favorite childhood memory. Uh, you know, and you say that, and the first thing that pops in my head is I'm looking at it on my shelf in my office. Uh, when I was a child, you know, and I'm I'm actually almost 50. I turned 50 in like a week. Uh, so when I was a child, um, Fisher Price had those little tiny people. They've since changed them. They're like a lot big, fatter, I guess, for safety reasons. But I had the little tiny ones, and I'm looking at a, um, a an image my sister had given me where she took. Uh, I think it was for my 30th birthday. She took 30, and I used to call them kids, they were called, this little Fisher-Price people. She took 30 kids and glued them to this big picture frame, and it's sitting in my office. And I think um, one of the things that I was able to do as a kid, and, and actually, I, I think this, this helped me going forward as an adult, was you know, that, that opportunity to really be imaginative and, and to build upon you know, the little scenarios that go in a kid's head. And, and I, my mom used to say that um, you know, I, she could give me a bag of kids and maybe a little toy car that they drove in, and I would sit on 
on the steps and just like play for hours with them. And I, who knows what was going on in my little like three-year-old noggin. But that's uh, one of the big memories is when I see kids and um, you know, the Fisher-Price kids is, is kind of a, a happy little joy for my head. Well, happy early birthday. And I had the Fisher-Price little people <laughs> and I had the schoolhouse. Remember the yes, schoolhouse? I and the, oh, I had them all. Oh, yes. I haven't thought about that for a long time. So what a nice share. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, who would it be and why? And this person can be someone who's living, someone who's passed away. Who is that first person that comes to your mind? The first person that comes to my mind actually would be my grandfather. Um, he was insanely special to me, my mother's father. Uh, we just kind of got along like peas and carrots. He was awesome, very quiet, very different personality type than me, but uh, we still uh, always, always got along. My middle name is Russell, uh, which was his name. I've actually, I got permission to name my canine son Russell. So I asked my mom, is it okay if I name, you know, my next dog after pop up? She's like, I think he'd love that. So um, he's always at top of mind to me, uh, whether I'm you know, calling my dog um, or just looking at the artifacts around my house that remind me of, of um, Russell John Hindle. So um, pop-up would be the first one. It's so interesting. I, I've randomly asked this question uh, since May and I've had a few podcast guests and their grandfather was their first pick. Wow. So it's always a fun question to ask and, and what a special memory to that you have for him. And, and now you have a fur baby named Russell. I do, I do. And he's very different personality. But the, the real quick funny story is um, my husband was not keen on getting a dog. So it took me about 10 years to lobby for dog number one, which is Ella, uh, my canine daughter. And then once we had the first one, that was like the gateway was open. So I'm like, well, they're pack animals. We need a second one. He's like, uh. And so we, we went and um, ended up getting, we went to this place and, uh, and, the turns out the dogs were born on my grandfather's birthday. So my, my husband's like, Oh, dadgummit, we have to get it. I'm like, yes, we do. So that was my selling point. Well, and I also love that the name of your company is top dog learning group. <laughs> and and that's the the serendipitous part about it is when um, my business partner Ruth and I started this. We technically started it part time in two thousand two when we were still at Disney, and we got permission from our bosses to do it. She's like, "Yes, don't use Disney stuff. Don't use Disney time. Have fun." And we just did it as a part time gig for you know for about six years until I decided to take it full time. But when we were coming up with the name, um, I didn't have a dog, and uh, she was a big she is a big dog person. And um, we landed her last name is Bond. She's from the UK, so. You know, R.I.P. Sean Connery and um, you know Bond and Yachavellian Associates was just not us, and so we were starting to talk about things that we like. And she's like, "Well, I like dogs." I'm like, "Well, I like dogs too. I just don't happen to have one." And so that's kind of how Top Dog formed. And then when I actually look at my logo in hindsight, it actually looks like my canine daughter, which I think is just so awesome. Universe, yay! Well, it's special, and 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 that's what I love about it. And it's it's part of your heart centered leadership. So very very cool. Third question, share with me the number one tip that comes to your mind to be an adult learner in the 21st century workplace. Ooh, that's a great question. I am, you know, it's funny. I, I'm kind of like this um, split head because I spend so much time focusing on leadership, of course, as it, as it focuses on being a constantly inclusive leader. But since the pandemic, I've been gorgeously forced to, to, to really 
put my doctorate in instructional technology and distance education to the forefront and, and really helping both you know, big and large organizations rethink how they're delivering learning. And so I think um, the advice I would give is to be open to the various opportunities to learn stuff. And, and, and that could be um, formal online stuff in this weird COVID time. It could be that opportunity to sit down with a virtual coffee and talk with somebody and learn from them. Um, so it ties on to not just embrace those opportunities, but then when you are doing that, you know, doing that whole listening thing. I talk a lot about that in Pride Leadership and a lot of my leadership stuff. You know, we, we as a Western society, for those who are listening in the West, uh, tend to be a little bit more of, we like to, to paraphrase Stephen Covey, listen to respond versus listen to understand. So as we're engaging in these learning experiences, listen to understand and kind of have that open mind that, that you know, some people refer to it as the mind of a child. Yes, try to do that as best as you can. Well, I love that. And it's interesting because it's something that I always talk about for heart-centered leadership. And you're right. I think technology has inundated us in so many ways that our heart-centered trait of listening has become that to figure out what we need to say in response. But when you look at the heart of leadership, most leaders that are really, really heart-centered and lead well, they don't talk very much and they do a lot of listening. So, so what a valid point and couldn't agree with you more. My last question is, what do you want your legacy to be? You know, I've, I've actually thought a lot about this, especially as I start creeping up toward the big 5-0 and, and thinking, you know, what ding will I have left on the universe? And, and I think it's, if I can help people it truly be more consciously inclusive to be really thinking about not just my own uh, demographics you know, bubble, but really going broader and beyond that and, and to think about well, what can I do to be a better leader and, and a better service provider um, to my team members who maybe don't look or act or sound or think like me. And, and if I can leave that legacy with folks, whether it be through the book or the online learning stuff that we have or, or the virtual keynotes or live keynotes when I could do those or anything, that, that I'm sharing. Um, if I can move just a few folks to think broader than about certain demographics, I, I will have done my ding in the universe, if you will. Well, I like that. And I haven't had anybody frame it like that before. So that's the fun thing about having a podcast. Well, I'm excited for the future and continuation of your leadership. I want to congratulate you on your book. And I'm just grateful that you shared your time and expertise with us today on the Imperfect Podcast. Well, thank you, Deb. And thank you for all that you do and giving a platform for those of us who really want to talk about leading, but also not just through our head, but through our heart. So thank you for all that you do. Well, it's my pleasure. And here's to continuing staying in touch and, uh, I believe we lift and rise together and I like to end the podcast with my list of five things that I really feel help us lead a purposeful life. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and always remember to be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thank you so much for joining me once again on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.